Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started. And now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join me, Katie Glennon, on the Literary Cafe podcast, where I share helpful tips and ideas to teach language arts, literature, and writing. My hope is for you to be able to walk away excited to try some new ideas in your own homeschool. Please visit me on my website, literarycafepodcast.com, for these ideas and resources to help you enjoy your homeschool journey. Hi, and welcome to the Literary Cafe podcast. I'm Katie Glennon, your host, and I thank you for joining us once again. If this is your first time, welcome, and thank you for joining us for your first time. If you haven't listened to our previous podcasts, I encourage you to look for our Shakespeare and our poetry, as well as our what to include in your elementary language arts study. Today's podcast is about middle and high school language arts and what to include in your study at those age levels. You'll find all of these on the literarycafepodcast.com webpage, as well as any notes or links to resources that I have included about the topic that we're talking about. So today you'll see some notes about middle and high school language arts and some resources that I recommend in using your in your homeschool to study this. Now when we talk about language arts in the middle and high school levels, we're including a number of different skills just like we would in the elementary. However, we're doing it at a higher cognitive level and we'll discuss that. I would recommend starting off with what are you going to use for your literature and then use that as your jumping off point for the other skills that you want to tackle other than just reading comprehension and answering questions and that kind of thing. So the first thing to do would be to figure out what kind of literature program or reading material you want to incorporate into your year's study for language arts. And we'll get into some details about that. So from that literature that you've chosen, you can begin then to look at vocabulary. Now, I recommend that you use vocabulary within the context of what you're reading. And there's two reasons for that. One, it saves you time so that you're not pulling in workbooks with vocabulary words that are kind of random and having your student just sit there and work on vocabulary independently. And that that takes a little bit more time because it's in addition to the material that they're reading with their language arts program and their literature. Also, I recommend using vocabulary that is within the reading material in your literature in context. And the reason for that is because it's like Velcro and it will help the meaning of the word that your student is studying in literature stick to their brain. It will make more sense to them because they've read the word inside the context of the story. They will remember the 
theme or the topic of the story and what it was about. And they'll remember how that word was used and applied within that story. So it will have more meaning to them and it will also stick with them longer because of that it's in context. It also gives them the practice to even try to figure out what that word means before looking up the definition, if you wish, to give them practice figuring out what a word means just by its context in a sentence. And that's an important skill to develop, um, not only for life skills and for comprehension, you know, through adulthood when they're reading, but also they're going to be coming across words that they don't understand quite frequently um, in different subject areas, as well as even on those standardized tests. If your child is going into college, one of the things that they're going to be testing on is their ability to figure out what a word means by the words around it in a sentence. So figuring out that vocabulary word in context and learning those vocabulary words with your reading material in your literature program, I would highly recommend that over separate vocabulary books. And I have done both. And I feel that the best results are by using the words that are already there supplied for you in the reading material and in context. The other thing you would also approach in your literature program is, as I said, the comprehension and the higher order thinking skills. Now, in middle school and high school, we're going to be operating on different levels. So with the middle schoolers, you can start working at the level of recalling facts or details within the story, also comprehension where they're understanding what they've read. You can also then move into a level called application where they think about the story and maybe solve a problem or possible solutions to a problem that a character in the story is having. So they're taking what they've read and then applying, to, applying it into a certain situation in what they're reading. And then they might even be ready to do some kind of analysis as well, maybe drawing conclusions um, from what they've read in the book or comparing that story to another story, or comparing that story to maybe a personal experience that they've had or a situation that they've experienced and see what kind of similarities or differences are there. Or even comparing and contrasting characters and the different characteristics that those characters in that story have. So that would be at the analysis thinking level. Then going higher for high school, most likely you would then also include the evaluation level, which is where they would start maybe critiquing the story or the author's writing, maybe what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, what they thought was effective, what wasn't effective, taking an issue that is maybe happening in the story and then debating it. What side do they stand on in with that issue in that story or with that essay they're reading? That's a good one for nonfiction where you have them practice evaluating some sort of a, a problem or a moral issue, and they can practice that higher level thinking skill of evaluation. Now, the highest and the last one is considered synthesis or creation, where they're actually creating something new. They're taking what they have read or studied or uh, learned from a piece of writing and they're going to take a point from it or an idea or a theme or a character and they'll create something totally new. 
So that would be synthesis because you're just using that piece of literature or piece of writing as a jumping off point and they're totally developing something new with their own skills and knowledge. That would be the most difficult type of thinking skill to tackle. And as I said, those last couple would be really more reserved for the high school language arts. Now, the other thing that you'll also look at along with the higher order thinking skills would be starting in middle school with some, some of the more simple literary devices, such as uh, examples of synonyms, metaphors, imagery, using details and the five senses in, that the author uses to describe something within the poem or the story or the essay. And the student can identify what senses are being used or what details are being given to create a picture or a visual image for the reader, as well as something called personification, alliteration. Those are some of the beginning types of literary devices. And then in high school, you would continue with those literary devices and they will become more complex as maybe you look at poets like Edgar Allan Poe or an author such as Charles Dickens, and then how they use those types of literary devices for effect to set a mood or a tone in the poem or the story. The other component that you'll be looking at would be considered the elements of a story. That's where you start taking the story apart um, and seeing what parts of a plot make the story happen. So the events that build up to a climax and then the final events of a story to get down to the resolution of the story or the ending of the story. It also includes examining the setting, character analysis, any kind of symbolism, analogies. Maybe the story is such like Animal Farm and it is actually serving as an analogy for the Russian Revolution or John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress you want to go ahead and see that as an analogy of the Christian um, walk. Then you would look at mood, tone, point of view, and these would all be considered elements of the story. So you would start off with some of the simpler components of the plot and setting for the middle school and then move on into the higher, more complex ones for high school. Another aspect of the literature that you would start looking at would be the different genres. And we're talking about including even in one year's time and introduction to literature in the ninth grade is a great opportunity to do this, where you get some sort of an anthology, which would be a literature book that has a sampling of all these different genres in it that might include essays, speeches, novels, short stories, poetry, and drama. And then you would maybe do a couple of novels on the side, which would be the whole books. And then along with the novels or whole books that you choose, you would then, um, I would recommend using a novel study on the side. Now, however you choose to do your literature, you would want to select either an anthology to work through on your own, an online class, uh, video type classes, hybrid classes, where they would offer you these types of options. This way you get a well-rounded program. And as I said, in ninth grade, you'd be looking at something like introduction to literature, where it would be a broad cross-section of authors and different types of literature. And it would be um, not quite as difficult as the American classics or the British classics. It would be something more 
along the lines is along uh, maybe Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, um, more simple classics to understand. Then you want to go ahead and look at your different literary time periods and areas of the world to determine what other types of literature classes that you want to include. So in ninth grade, I would typically recommend an introduction to literature for ninth grade and then moving on to American literature because that tends to be more understandable and easier on the comprehension at the 10th grade level. Then, in, then instead of tackling maybe British literature or world literature in 10th grade. But that depends upon your student. If you feel your student excels at reading and comprehension and is ready to tackle something more complex, then you really can arrange 10th, 11th, and 12th grade however you want to. What I have tried to do in the past is arrange the literature around the same time period in history that we're studying. So if I was studying American history in 10th grade, I would try to make sure to include American literature in 10th grade, because they do go hand in hand. And I'll explain to you uh, how that works. Then um, for 11th grade, I would probably look at either world literature or British literature. And then the same thing for 12th grade British literature or world literature. And then we'll look at some other options, alternatives as well, if you don't want to look at British literature or world literature. But first, let's look at what it is that you would study with American literature and British literature, let's say, or Western literature. American literature, you would then want to look at the different time periods within American literature. And these would be your literary time periods. So I always found that going chronological was the best way to approach this. So you would want to start with Native American literature and then moving on to pre-colonial or Puritanism and then colonial. And then from there, you would move into the revolutionary time period, which is referred to the age of reason and enlightenment. And this is where you have like Thomas Paine writing his common sense and a variety of speeches and essays having to do with trying to persuade uh, the colonists to side against the British. Then you move into the Romantic time period. And inside that Romantic time period, you have the more pastoral poetry. Um, there are more references to God. You have more of a pendulum swinging, where in the Puritan time period, you had more of a Christian worldview. And then you move over to the revolutionary time period where it was more the age of reason and enlightenment and it was more of a world uh, view from a humanistic standpoint or a worldly type secular viewpoint and then in the romantic time period it kind of swings back again to the christian worldview so if you wanted to study worldview this would be a good way to study how it kind of has a tendency to swing back and forth during the literary time periods because there again there was more emphasis on God and what role he played in nature. And you can see that in the poetry, as well as the stories during the romantic time period. Again, there was kind of a renaissance of mentioning God and um, the providence of God. There was also American Gothic included in here with Edgar Allan Poe, and then something called transcendentalism uh, with um, Thoreau. So that would be another time period that includes several time periods, literary, literary movements inside that time period. 
Then you move on to the realism and the naturalism time period and something called regionalism. And this is where you have um, writers such as Stephen Crane with the Red Badge of Courage and you have naturalism with um, um, the Call of the Wild where you're focusing more on nature and animal instinct. The realism with Stephen Crane with the Red Badge of Courage was focusing on the realistic viewpoint of what the Civil War was really like. It wasn't like this romantic vision of it. It was a very graphic novel that described the pain, the blood, the suffering, the, the fear that goes along with um, the Civil War. And you also had regionalism, which is where someone like Mark Twain was coming onto the scene and he was using local dialect. So you have a cross-section of a number of different things that, was ha that were happening in literature um, during that time period of the realism, naturalism, and um, the regionalism. Then from there, it moves to modern, where you have the more modern writers, and then nowadays, the contemporary. I like to follow that kind of format because then once my students and also my own kids were familiar with that kind of chronology, with the American literature, when we studied British literature, it was somewhat familiar to them because there was sort of a crossover in time periods with the literature. And you could see how one another might influence um, the, the other. So for instance, in British literature, you had the Old English, you had the Anglo-Saxon. Then you move into the Middle English with the Medieval, then into the Renaissance, and then you have the Puritanism movement, uh, just like you had in the United States, um, then the Age of Enlightenment, because again, the some of the colonists during when they moved into the Revolutionary period and the Age of Reason and Enlightenment, they were also influenced by movements and philosophy and thinking that was going on in Europe at the time that also influenced how they talked about the rights of man and trying to establish their rights as a free country against the British Empire. So there was some um, back and forth during that time period between the what was going to be the United States and over in um, Europe at that time. Then you move into a romantic time period over in um, Europe where it was really the Regency uh, era where you had Jane Austen and she was writing about the roles of women. And then you moved into the Victorian time period and that was where you had Charles Dickens and the influence of the Industrial Revolution and the factories and the way it affected uh, workers' lives. So that all had kind of a same similarity to what was going on in the United States. And then they moved into the modern uh, literature as well. Then your last option to include, because most schools, if you're going to be applying to colleges, will want to see four years of, of English. So for the fourth year, if you want to choose world literature, there are two ways that people study world literature. One is more of a Western, Eastern total going across the world and just reading a cross-section of literature, including maybe what has influenced their religions and their culture and their thinking and their worldviews. There's another way to approach it is with the ancient literature, with the Greeks and the Romans. And I've seen world literature totally focusing just on that area. 
So that's something to consider. Now there's also alternatives to that where you can just study maybe a semester of just poetry, a semester of just Shakespeare, or a semester of drama, journalism, creative writing, even some sort of essay composition, expository writing, or a specific type of literature, or specific author, or maybe even a specific region or time period you want to focus on for um, a particular um, literature class for a semester. You also want to look at the author's point of view and purpose and also the literature as a reflection of cultural, religious, societal, and historical views and beliefs and events that occurred during those times. Because that will let you know if you look at the background of where that literary time, that literary piece came from. If the author is writing from their own experience, so you'll do some research about that author in the time period, if they're trying to share with you their own personal experiences of living in that time, or a point of view that they're trying to share with you, or even a religious or cultural or societal belief. So they may be trying to just give you information about that time period, or they may be trying to influence your thinking. So you want to look at the author's intent. Are they trying to influence historical events during their time period? Are they trying to influence your viewpoint? For instance, with Thomas Paine, he was trying to convince the colonists with his common sense about the rights of man. Harriet Beecher Stowe was trying to portray her viewpoint of slavery with Uncle Tom's Cabin and push for um, the um, freedom of these slaves. Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn was trying to do the same thing. Jane Austen, as I mentioned before, she was trying to look at the roles of women during the Regency time period and women's plight and their status in society at that time. Same thing with Charles Dickens when he wrote The Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield. He was a child and a victim of these factories back then where he was trying to express that the haves and the have-nots, there is a big gap there. And he was trying to explain that the haves do have some sort of obligation to treat their workers fairly, pay them a decent wage, give them decent working conditions, and that these children shouldn't be treated like this. So he was coming from his own personal viewpoint, but at the same time, he was trying to influence thinking during that time period. So as I said, you do want to include in your literature study not only the background of the time period, but also the biography of the author or the poet, because that will help you understand what it is they're writing about, what their intent and their purpose and their point of view is. And it gives you a whole expanded dimension of meaning while you're reading. Then from there, you want to go ahead and look at your writing component of your language arts program. And I usually tried to use the literature as a springing off point if we were reading an essay uh, that was based on um, information then we might write an essay that's based on information and it's an informative essay if it's a persuasive speech I would write an essay that is a persuasive essay but for ninth grade and for middle school especially for middle school you want to first make sure that they understand how to write a paragraph, a formatted paragraph with a hook, a topic sentence, 
supporting detail sentences, and then a good concluding sentence. Once they have a good format of what a proper paragraph would include, then you would want to move to your five paragraph essay format, which follows the same basic format, but it has five paragraphs and your first paragraph serves as your introductory paragraph. Then you have three supporting detail paragraphs instead of just sentences, and then you have a concluding paragraph. And within those paragraphs, you want to make sure you include all the different components for the introductory paragraph. And then what you want to include in those other three body paragraphs and then your concluding paragraph. And that includes things such as a topic sentence, a hook, transition words, um, concluding sentence, some sort of a clincher at the end. And I always recommend that you start off with an informative five paragraph essay having to do with a topic that your student or your learner can talk about right off the top of their head for about 15 minutes, doesn't have to think about what they're going to write about. It would be very easy for them to put that information down on paper. That way they can only, that, that way they only have to focus on what the format of the paper is. They don't have to worry about what it is and struggle with what they're going to actually write about. So if you follow that kind of format with a topic that they're highly familiar with, then um, it's a lot easier for them to learn how to write that kind of paper. For high school, and as you get into the higher um, grade levels, you want to go ahead and you can use that uh, five paragraph paper and turn it into more of a persuasive essay um, or even an informative paragraph um, where you're choosing three things from what they've written in literature this time instead of just a topic off the top of their head. For instance, you could talk about three things that were included in Charles Dickens novels and why he included it as far as the working conditions or the children. Or Jane Austen's novels where you could talk about three things that she talked about with women's roles or their status and the different issues that she addressed there with specific details from the um, essay. And this could then also be an analytical essay as well because you're analyzing the literature and showing examples of how the author expressed their viewpoint and got their information across within this story or this novel instead of just kind of writing a speech about it. And with the persuasive essay, you want to pick an issue and then side with one side of the issue or the other, and then you want to be able to support that issue with three different arguments within the body of the paragraph. So you've got a introductory paragraph, your three supporting argumentative paragraphs in the middle with three different points to argue your point, your point, and then a fifth paragraph to uh, give kind of a wrap up and a conclusion. Then comes along the MLA research paper. <laughs> this is the dreaded paper that a lot of people uh, get totally intimidated by and you really if you have a child going to college you want to make sure you practice at least one MLA research paper before they go off and I say MLA because it's the most common one to practice it's the most common one assigned there's also the APA format and the Chicago format research type formats and those usually have to do with particular subject areas um, but the one that would be most common would be the MLA and you want to make sure that you're using the most uh, recent version. Right now it's MLA 8. They just changed it. 
a few years ago. And you want to learn how to do the research, paraphrase it so that your child isn't copying or plagiarizing the research um, resource that they're using. So they need to practice taking that research, paraphrasing it, then organizing it in a fashion where they're keeping notes on where they got that information from and citing their resources so that they can then put together what used to be called a bibliography page, now a works cited page, and then include all that appropriate information on that page, as well as giving in paragraph citations of where they found that information from, and then learning how to do those citations within the paper and how that's supposed to look. So just organizing the information and keeping notes of where you got each bit of information from, and then learning how to organize it in a paper and document it and cite it, that's a complex skill that you really want to make sure that you practice during the high school years. The um, other type of paper would be maybe a compare and contrast type of paper um, where you're comparing one novel to another that the same author wrote or maybe two different novels written by two different authors but there was the same kind of theme and you can do that in middle school and high school but it is a complex paper and you want to make sure you keep it simple for the middle school for grammar i would recommend that you look at your child's essay writing and also the written answers that they might have for questions about the story or their literature that they're reading and then take note of what kind of errors they're making and make sure you review those um, concepts so that they don't continue to make those same errors. Subject verb agreement, pronoun antecedent, making sure that the uh, number of the pronoun, either he, she, or we matches to uh, whatever you're referring to in the sentence. You, so you need to make sure that the uh, tense and the number match with pronouns as well as verbs. You, um, for grammar, if you have a child who is extremely organized and structured and loves to make lists and follow steps very carefully and loves to have some sort of guidance in following steps, step by step, you will want to go ahead and try diagramming sentences if you haven't already done so and you think maybe that's something that would make sense for them. The Rod and Staff Grammar English textbooks are excellent. They go through eighth grade, but even those are like really advanced level high school grammar. So I would recommend that. If you're somebody who's totally intimidated by the whole diagramming thing or your child seems to be more worried about how to do the diagramming and just doesn't get it, I would skip the diagramming and I would move on to a program such as maybe Winston Grammar where you're practicing labeling parts of a sentence and then describing what words do to another word, such as an adjective describing a noun, um, or the subject of the sentence is doing the action, uh, which is the verb. Another series that you might like for workbooks, uh, the, the Winston Grammar is more of a hands-on kind of thing. So if you have a hands-on learner, you might want to look at Winston Grammar. For workbooks, which I found great review for uh, grammar for my kids, was the Easy Grammar series at easygrammar.com. We've used all of their grammar books um, in one way or another. 
They have daily grammar, daily gram workbooks that have quick page reviews of five different kinds of grammar concepts. And that's more of a spiral learning approach from year to year for mastery. And it's a good review to keep up on those skills and practice them. And it's a very quick thing, just one page a day in each. And on that page, like I said, there's just five different kinds of concepts with one sample each. So it's a quick review, which I loved. And then you also have the um, actual grammar workbooks. You have the ultimate series starting with grade eight up through grade 12. And then there's also the easy gram, grammar books themselves, which are like a te teaching text that supplies a directions and instruction on the concept and then gives you additional practice on certain concepts. So we used a combination of both the books, the easy grammar books for the instruction and the practice, and then the daily gram workbooks for that one page quick review of all different kinds of grammar skills. And then as my children got older at the upper levels of high school, we then used the ultimate series, um, which really included the best of both worlds. Now for spelling, if your child does need spelling practice and review, again, use the words uh, from their writing that they misspell and use those as their spelling words. Also, maybe words in the novel or the literary pieces that you're reading where they're not familiar with how to spell them. They could be their vocabulary words. That could be part of their spelling list. And then also spelling power is a huge book that has spelling words that you can use uh, all the way through 12th grade. And it gives suggested practice exercises and things like that to, in order to help students remember how to spell those words. So as you can see, there's a lot to language arts, but I just wanted to give you a summary of all the different components that you want to include in your study and how it can all fit together so that you don't feel like you're using 15 different curriculum programs how do they all work together? So I gave you a couple of different ones that you could use for grammar and even spelling if you feel like you need additional practice. In the high school years, I feel like they still do, do need some additional practice and review. And as I said, I do recommend those particular programs that I mentioned. They'll, they're also mentioned in the show notes. And then from there, I would use the literature. And then maybe even other types of uh, writing books or programs that you feel you would be able to use to help your student write. Or if it's really a struggle, I would recommend finding some sort of an online class or a tutor or a recorded class um, where the burden is taken off of you. And I do offer tutoring and writing papers. If anyone's interested in that, you can contact me at katieshomeschoolcottage.com where I mentioned tutoring. I'm also coming up with writing workshops that will be recorded for purchase where it guides your students step by step through the writing process. And I'm also developing literature study type workshops as well to help your student take all of these skills that I've mentioned in this podcast and put them together to work for a whole program. So thanks for joining me. Make sure you check out the show notes as well as the other podcasts. And I hope that you will join me next month for the podcast when I talk about grammar. And 
all the other stuff that might go along with grammar and language arts. So we'll have more of an emphasis on that. Until then, enjoy your homeschool journey. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to visit me at literarycafepodcast.com for this podcast and others and at katieshomeschoolcottage.com for even more ideas and resources for you to use in your homeschool journey. podcast is a production of the ultimate homeschool radio network subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play or any of your favorite podcast apps look for the ultimate homeschool radio show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts for a special subscriber printable pack as well as all our timely freebies join our email list on the ultimate homeschool radio network.com